Hold on one second. I'm going to kick my dog out. He is uh, <laughs> no becoming very vocal. Uh, you know, but he right didn't back. put him on airplane mode. That's what I did with Penny. She's, yeah. <laughs> uh, I stole that from Marco, but uh, she has no collar on right now. So this way, if she, if, oh, she gets, that's uh, really smart. if she gets grumpy, then hopefully it won't be a problem. Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman. And today I'm excited to bring you the co-host of the Accidental Tech Podcast and creator of the new app Masquerade, Casey Liss. Casey, welcome to the show. Well, hello. How are you? I am great. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. I, I am in phenomenal company making an appearance on launch. I'm very, <laughs> very excited and very honored. So thank you so much. I, I'm i very, very excited to have you on. I, Whenever you came out, I think it was when Vignette came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I think I reached out to you. I don't remember, but I think the the main gist was you cover everything so well on uh, mostly analog and ATP that I was like, what what can I have to offer? Like you already have these amazing resources for explaining, you know, kind of your story leading up to these launches. But since then, I think the show has turned into maybe the second half is about an app launch itself, but the first half is really just like. Let's take this person's story, like kind of their career, <laughs> and, and tell that. And so I'm like, well, okay. The one thing Casey doesn't have is these years of his amazing stories uh, condensed down into one episode. So I think I can at least bring that into the picture. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a plan. I don't know how interesting the stories are, but certainly that's a goal to aspire to. So <laughs> we can certainly start there. Yeah. Well, I, we talked about this a little beforehand, but. Uh, your your background uh, lines up a little with mine, uh, which not a whole lot of people in the iOS space are in the same boat. And so I'm just excited to kind of get into that a little bit. So uh, I'm very excited about this. Me too. Me too. So uh, before we get into, you know, ATP and your apps, uh, I like to give everybody who doesn't already know your background, a background of who you are. So three questions I always ask is, where are you from? Do you have a formal education related to what you do? And then let's talk about your career leading up to the podcast and your apps. Sure. So uh, I grew up kind of all over. We were actually talking about this privately before the show. Uh, My dad worked for IBM for basically my entire life. And we used to joke that that stands for I've been moved. And (laughs) so I kind of have a military brat upbringing without any of the military being involved. Um, And so I was born in New York State. My parents are both uh, New Yorkers. We moved from New York to Minnesota when I was extremely little. I spent a couple of years there, which I barely remember. Went back to New York for a few years and then bounced around the Midwest for a while. Uh, We were in Springfield, Illinois for a couple of years in Naperville, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago for a couple of years, went to Austin, Texas for a couple of years. And then at this point, I was about to enter high school. I was in eighth grade, I believe. And um, my mom, I'm the eldest of three boys. My mom explained to my dad, you know, once Casey's in high school, I'm not moving anymore because I'm not relocating him once he's in high school. Like, that's a very important yeah. formative time. We're not moving anymore. You can keep moving, but I'm not moving and the kids are not moving anymore. So we arrived in uh, Western Connecticut, which was for all intents and purposes, New York State. But um, we arrived there when I was in eighth grade. And uh, my two younger brothers were all four years apart. So the moment I left high school, the next one entered. The moment he left high ah. school, uh, the next one, the final one entered. And so uh, my parents lived in Connecticut for you know 12 years, whatever it was. And then actually recently moved down to Virginia, not too far from where I am now, uh, but I'm skipping ahead. So after high school, I went to uh, college at Virginia Tech, which is in Southwest Virginia in a little town called Blacksburg. I studied computer engineering, which is 
kind of oversimplified. I would say it's half uh, electrical engineering and half computer science. And then uh, got a job in Charlottesville, bounced around Charlottesville for a little bit, and then eventually relocated to Richmond, Virginia, which is where I am now. Were you were you doing uh, electrical engineering or like software development right out of college? No, 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 no. Uh, after college, it was all code. It was all software okay. engineering. Um, I mean, I I can't even say with an honest face <laughs> with with an with an honest face that I did anything particularly double E. I mean, I I got a couple a couple of rare moments where I was a little bit close to hardware, but not in the traditional electrical engineering, co- you know, contents, right. context or sense or anything. Uh, but yeah, I've been in Richmond ever since, and I already forgot your other two questions. So, <laughs> what am I missing? Well, formal education, and then and then it's career uh, leading uh, yes. up to you know ATP. I think would be the first. Yeah. So, I mean, I could go on and on and on, and, and if there's anything that's interesting to you uh, as I'm talking, either interrupt me or we can circle back around. Oh, I will. But um, if there's anything <laughs> I can do, is pull on a thread and get down yeah, a rabbit hole. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so when I was, when I graduated from tech, my grades were garbage. Um, I was not a good student. Uh, and I say that it may sound like I'm prideful about it. I am absolutely not. In fact, I'm actually fairly embarrassed by it, but I did graduate and I went back, moved back home to Connecticut and I was looking around for work, really couldn't find anything. And then a, a guy that I graduated with that I knew in passing, but didn't know particularly well, emailed a bunch of people and was like, Hey, I just got a job. I think he was at GE in Charlottesville, if I'm not Mm. mistaken, but Hey, I just got a job in Charlottesville. If you want, you know, give me your resume. I'll pass it around to a few local companies. And you have to understand that, you know, Virginia tech is in Blacksburg, like I'd said earlier, and our big rivals are the university of Virginia, which is based in Charlottesville. So the thought (laughs) of going to Charlottesville was not on my top 10 list. Um, and honestly, at that point, returning to Virginia wasn't really on my top 10 list either. Um, and as it turns out, I was pretty wrong about that, but I didn't know it at the time. But nevertheless, I was desperate. Uh, I wanted some sort of work. Obviously, this was getting on late summer at this point after mm. I graduated in May. And so I was like, yeah, 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 sure. Here's my resume. And um, this fella passed it to a company based in, well, they, the company wasn't based in Charlottesville, but they had a development shop based in Charlottesville. And it was a bunch of uh, former electronic arts game developers that their company had been bought by EA and then shut down by EA, which my understanding is that's something that EA just loves to do or did at the time anyway. And they ended up kind of as a team, as like a pack, getting swept up by a company that did slot machines for uh, Oklahoman Native American casinos. And when I say slot machines, it wasn't really slot machines. What they really were, were bingo games, like electronic bingo games. But how you did at bingo was represented by the three reels of the slot machine. So the slot machine was a complete affordance to make it look like you're doing what you know a traditional gambling would be like in a Vegas or an Atlantic City or something like that. But in reality, what's happening behind the scenes is there's a computer playing a bingo game, and if you win, it'll show it'll it'll stop the reels in such a way to show that you won on the reels, right? Is that uh, is that like a legal thing? Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think that they couldn't have or it, 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 there was some loophole or something along those lines. Honestly, I don't even remember at this That's point fascinating. this was yeah this was 2004 um that i started working there it makes me think of have you have you heard about the uh you know the claw machines mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, mm-hmm. for pulling out teddy bears isn't yeah, there yeah, yeah. a whole thing with that where they are programmed for whether or not the claw will actually grip like it's, <laughs> that's it's, that's quite possible i did not it's hear actually this, it's like possible. a programmable thing and there's percentages for how often it does it that's not but surprising like, they have to tweak it per state i'm this is all vague memories of probably mm-hmm. a youtube video so maybe this is all complete <laughs> falsehoods but my memory of it is like 
uh, they have to change what those percentages are because if it's like a low enough percentage, it's legalized as gambling, which of course you can't just let right, kids do right. at Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. So, right, right. Uh, so it's like behind the scenes, there's all this weird software stuff going on to make it fit the legal framework. But you know, you don't think about that when you're just playing with it. No. And the funny thing is, if you were to look at these slot machines, you know, you have the three reels that you would expect, but above that was like a four by four LCD screen that was showing like bingo cards. And if you ah. paid attention, you could actually see that there was legitimately a bingo game going on. But for any normal human being, you weren't thinking twice about it. Um, right, you pull the thing, uh, you win or you don't win. Exactly. That's the end yep. of the day. There's a bunch of flashing lights and sounds that go with that. Yep. Uh, but this was a really interesting uh like transition into adulthood and into uh, real work because you know this was like I said a bunch of washed up EA developers and for better or worse most of these people were dudes most of them didn't really have families they were you know probably in their 30s or 40s which again at this point i'm like 23 or something like that 22 um and they didn't really have a lot to do but work which in some ways was good in some ways was bad um in the bad way was you know they were always at work and they kind of didn't understand why i didn't want to always be at work uh, but you know I'm, yeah. I'm a i'm a young guy in a new place and i'm trying to you know be social and so on but but another reason that it was great is because they're all you know video game developers my dress code in the summer was shorts and sandals and a t-shirt you know because that you was spoiled it, right away i was i was spoiled immediately and and so that was really great and i learned just an immense amount but what was not so great about it was this was again uh, late 2004 through early 06 and i was programming uh or the the compiler i was targeting targeting was a watcom c++ compiler for dos because Ooh. in 2004 these slot machines were running networked mind you on dos computers so I would Whoa. write my code. But they were driving that LCD with like mm-hmm. a graphics and stuff? Yep, sure were. Uh, and this is all done on DOS. And so, you know, debugging was, you know, sprintf and so on and so <laughs> yeah. forth. You know, there was no breakpoint. There was no concept of a breakpoint or anything like that. And I would have to FTP the executable over to the machine in order to run it. And it was... It was something, and it taught me a lot. I mean, I'd, I'd never really worked with source control before I got a real job, which was probably a failing in my education, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I learned so much so quickly, and it was both a horrible and perfect transition from from the world of education where nothing really matters to the real world where suddenly things matter, and they matter a lot. Yeah, well, and especially uh, in that context, like, obviously... This isn't, you know, an airplane engine code or something where people could die, but there's like strong legal implications if you get some of that wrong, right? Yeah. And as I like to joke, I started my career by doing a tour of like vices and sins and whatnot. So my (laughs) the next job was actually working for a defense contractor. So I got to the point of people may die, uh, but I wasn't there yet. Yeah. You worked your way there through slot Mm -hmm. machines. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So then outside of that, you or after that, you ended up in... In defense, yeah, in a manner of speaking. So, also in Charlottesville uh, at the time was a wholly old, wholly owned subsidiary. It's probably been merged into the into the parent, but there's a wholly owned subsidiary of Northrop Grumman called Sperry Marine, and Sperry Marine did navigation systems and other associated paraphernalia, some physical things, some some software things uh, for you know big boats uh, that included the U.S. Navy, but it also included like at the time that I was there, uh, every Royal Caribbean cruise ship in the world. Oh, wow. 
used our navigation software in order to navigate. So big um, boats. Yeah, yeah, big, big, big boats. And, and you know, destroyers and submarines and, and I believe air, aircraft carriers, like it ran the gambit. And um, and I went there and that was C++. Uh, what was that was windows but it, it was so it was a it, i guess i was in visual studio at that point but it was c++ and um and that was truly ancient code like the code at the first job was old but this was truly ancient like they had their own string class because it because their code predated like c++'s you know oh, wow. uh, standard template library so they had their own custom string class they hadn't run through the protocols to uh, upgrade yet yeah exactly exactly and i mean the, the original software ran on like weirdo not even linux but like weirdo like unix boxes like mm, very esoteric stuff yeah. um and they were modernizing and and so, uh, simultaneously with the software that I was working on, they were also building a, they called it next gen, which was a whole new, you know, replacement of the navigation system that was all .NET and C sharp and so on and so forth. And this was right when I want to say this was like .NET two. So this was early in, you yep. know, in the, in the, in the time of .NET and things were different than, than they are now, um, both for probably for better, but, but certainly for worse. And, um, and I started working on the navigation system f for, you know, for Navy vessels and things like that. Um, but then after a while, I got brought in to do some kind of proof of concept tiger team sort of, Hey, we have no time to put together a completely fully functional demo for the Navy or for Royal Caribbean or whatever go figure out how to make this work and do it yesterday. And because reasons they trusted myself and a couple of guys that I knew from college that, you know, we all graduated together, they trusted us to do this. So we're like, you know, these punk 22, 23, 24 year olds that are figuring out how to do an entire, you know, software system for a loose definition of system anyway, all by ourselves. And, and the idea is that this is a, this is a proof of concept mm -hmm. demo. Yeah. So it yeah. doesn't necessarily need to live in, you know, real devices. Uh, yes, ish. I mean, it needs to be functional. So it, it couldn't be like a complete smoke show. You know, like you hear the stories of like the original yeah, iPhone. Yeah, yeah. And if you tapped like six pixels wrong, you know, six pixels to the left of where they expected the whole thing would come crashing down. Like it wasn't. You mean Steve Jobs wasn't going to be the one doing your demo? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, certainly not. Um, and that was, that was, that being on those projects was tremendous, tremendous, tremendous fun. Just immense fun. Uh, it was a pressure cooker because you know they they needed results and they needed them yesterday uh and this was very different than normal development for for sperry because normally it was like straight up waterfall like right. they were cmmi level three i think which basically means they had so many processes in place that it was extremely reliable and repeatable and to, to to write software and and their estimates were good now the the thing is you know estimating in software is never good but they made it good but the reason they did that is because they spent eighteen thousand years exactly. planning before a single line of code was written so like it's not a very um exotic or or flashy or interesting way of writing software you know it's like the anti-agile <laughs> but it's reliable yeah. but the other thing is it doesn't give the uh, individual contributors that like ownership feeling that you get when you're playing a little That's more right. fast and loose. That's exactly right. And so I enjoyed my time there. I really did, especially once I was doing, you know, the, the, the proofs of concept, which was all C sharp. And, and for those of you who are C sharp developers, like the, the main thing I had done before I, I uh, relocated to Richmond and left the company was I did a whole proof of concept that was standing on the shoulders of .NET remoting, which I think was only in one, one or maybe one, one and two. And then they, yeah, it was so ancient and so bad that they canned it after like one release. But basically it was a way in which from my perspective, oh, 
this is again i'm going on many years old memory now but from my perspective i could instantiate an instance of a class that was really being run on a different device so dotnet would handle all of the like communication back and forth behind the scenes and i would just use this class as though it was local and it was behind the scenes like sending messages to the other device and and having it react and so on and so forth it was very slick um it was not the most reliable <laughs> thing in the world and i forget what replaced it for life me but something else replaced it uh that was way more robust and way more reliable and and that's what stuck around but it was fun and it, it, it was wild and it, and it was a lot of pressure and it was a lot of work, but it was super duper fun. Um, and then after that, I relocated to Richmond and I had basically a bunch of different consulting jobs until 2016 uh, consulting jobs. But by that, I mean, I am working for a consulting right. firm. Were you doing dot net C sharp at that time then? Yes. And this is when I transitioned to the web. So I was doing, you know, uh, yeah. ASP.net <laughs> and, uh, and, and web forms. Then eventually uh, MVC yep. a little bit here and there. That's that was my beginning too, or that my mm-hmm. beginning actually out of college okay there you go so mvc was way better than web forms like web forms was web forms i think is a little bit unjustly maligned like it was an impressive technology and it it was a miracle it ever worked (laughs) to be honest with you but it was reasonably reliable for what it was uh but it was not flashy by any means and so um i did that for a while i did sharepoint for a while Mm, which still gives me the shivers and if you had brought it up (laughs) i'd probably have screamed trigger warning at you um but i did i did a lot of cms work you know sharepoint and uh and other things like that uh did a lot of just general web work and then in 2016 uh, a former coworker of mine from my very first job in richmond said hey you know i'm now at this company uh that's we're trying to build out a new mobile practice and i need someone do you want to come do mobile work and at this point i had been dabbling with you know uh doing ios development and this is where my heart was but i certainly wasn't doing it professionally and and i jumped at the chance and i said heck yeah i'd love to come and, and do some mobile work professionally and so that was uh mid 2016 so to pause though mm-hmm. 2016 that's after you had started atp right yeah 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 that's uh, so i'm skipping over the atp part uh but suffice to say to to close the loop on this uh 2016 i went there in 2018 we had our second kid uh we had our daughter michaela very early 2018 and by mid 2018 i had told my job hey it's not you it's me but i'm gonna go independent uh and i've been independent since and it's been almost four years by some miracle that i don't understand so uh so yeah so i guess the miracle to bring this back around is is atp and analog so in 2013 and early early 2013 uh john syracuse who you might know is writing like novel length reviews of os 10 at the time for ars technica and uh he had just finished a a truly phenomenal podcast with dan benjamin called uh hypercritical on five by five uh he had gotten burned out from it he just did immense amount of research for every episode it took forever he has a day job he has a family it was just too much so he burnt out and quit um and then uh, a dear friend of mine from when I was very, very young, like literally 10 years old, uh, Marco Arment, who you might know is the co-founder of Tumblr and, uh, and Instapaper, or the, you know, the, the founder and creator of Instapaper of the magazine of... Yeah, he's a creative quitter, right? That's his kind of big ass. Of quitter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Um, and what was the uh, what was the the content blocker? I'm drawing a oh, piece, yeah, yeah. right? Is that uh, it? I think um, piece. I wasn't using one at the time, so I didn't ever actually yeah, use it. Yeah, fair enough. 
but uh but yeah and then uh he he eventually ended up writing overcast which uh if you have taste and are on ios that's what you're using <laughs> to listen to this hey oh but um but yeah so uh, marco and i had known each other for years and i had been needling marco like hey we should do a podcast about cars like just for fun and he was like yeah okay maybe we should do that and then it was his brilliant idea and i say that with no sarcasm to rope john in because i had met john a couple of years earlier at wwdc the big apple conference so i'd met him in 2011 <sighs> meeting at wwdc that sounds nice yeah imagine that <laughs> um in line for the keynote if i'm not mistaken but uh but anyways uh we had met and we had kept up over the you know the intervening couple of years and and i knew him as well as you can know someone through the internet that you see once a year right you know? <laughs> but uh and we were friendly i don't know if i'd go so far as to call us friends and not in a in a nasty or bad way it's just we didn't have the occasion to talk all right. that often uh but marco said hey you know let's let's rope john in he likes cars i like cars you like cars we all like cars let's do a show about cars i'm curious i'm curious about that like it seems like when i joined the picture that you're really into cars mm-hmm. uh marco has a tesla and is kind of <laughs> kind of into cars a little bit and then john yeah. uh really you know i guess he's kind of in the cars but he doesn't seem like he's like a car person were you all sort of like car people at the time yes um you're you're your understanding is not inaccurate but there's a little bit more depth i think than meets the eye so uh, marco at the time was far more interested i think in cars as more than an appliance i don't mean that to be to be nasty i i think I think Marco's relationship with cars has changed a bit over the years. And that's not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's more more what I was curious about is that's a good way of phrasing it, though, is like like my interest in cars is really at the appliance level, probably. And then when they mm -hmm, become a gadget, mm -hmm. you know, they become interesting in a different way. Sure. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it sounds like he was more into it as like a I don't want to say like a gearhead because it's not like you're taking apart cars and tuning them or whatever, but just kind of into the cars <laughs> sure. as products and, and following companies and everything. Yeah, I, I think very much so. And and John has, he has champagne wishes, but immense self-control. Like I'm not going to sit here and posit <laughs> whether or not he has, you know, uh, a caviar uh, uh, wallet, if you will, or, or, or he, if he has the budget, I should say for, for caviar and champagne. But whether or not he has the budget, he has immense amounts of self-control, which is something that I don't typically have. And so he buys very uh, well, he would argue with me, but I would say very run of the mill cars, which is not a bad thing either. Like he buys a very reliable, you know, so he's had a string of Hondas for basically his entire life and typically accords and he buys a reliable reasonably priced car that he enjoys and and i don't think there's anything wrong with that but he very much sometimes more if not often more than me keeps up with the ins and outs of the auto industry and is fascinated by hypercars and supercars and things of that nature in the same way i am okay that makes sense and he certainly has opinions Oh, yes. If John Syracuse has anything, he has opinions. And so, uh, so yeah, so we were all pretty into cars. And at the time, it seemed like, well, nobody was, well, nobody that I was aware of was really talking about cars. It would be a fun thing to do. And we'd try it for a little bit and see what happens. And that's what we did. And we made this podcast called Neutral. And after a couple of episodes, we ended up just, you know, shooting the stuff after the recording was done. And, and we ended up talking about technology because, you know, Marco's a developer, John's a developer, I'm a developer. So we started talking about technology and often Apple stuff. And in a second brilliant move by Marco, he decided to put 
some of these like post show recordings, some of this like B roll, if you will, um, or B side, I guess I should say, uh, he put those on SoundCloud and was like, Hey, if you're, you know, at all interested in tech, you know, the three of us were goofing off talking about, I think one of the iPhone releases or something like that, you know, you can come listen to this. And it turns out, uh, three people who don't actually know all that much about cars, even though we like them a lot, uh, they don't make a particularly compelling car podcast, but three people who both love and know a bit about tech. No, that are, that, that has a little bit of legs. And so, uh, and I think it was, I think actually I just stumbled on this. I'll have to dig it up. Uh, I'm not going to waste time doing it now, but just a few days ago, well, eight years and a few days ago, I should say, uh, I had tweeted, you know, Hey, if you don't like cars, listen to the three of us talk on our new show, the accidental tech podcast. And so that oh, was man. officially <laughs> announced sometime in early March of 2013, maybe 2014, no, 2013. I believe that's right. Um, and then it turns out that after a couple of more episodes of neutral, we were like, well, this doesn't have any legs. This is done, but the accidental tech, tech podcast, that's going somewhere. And so, uh, we went ahead and like really leaned into it. And that is far and away the longest job I've ever had in my life is talking to my, some of my best friends about stupid technology stuff. And that's been going on since, you know, early 2013. And I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky. And so that show, like obviously strong apple bent uh but oh sure at the start you were a .NET developer john i don't know what he was mm-hmm. doing then but he seems like he's doing a lot of python and javascript and stuff not an ios developer at the time sure yeah um, but marco i think you guys started it before overcast came out but he had already had instapaper and some ios apps and was independent at that point right yes yes i forget what was active for him at the time I feel like Instapaper might have already been unloaded, if I'm not mistaken. And I think he might have been working on Overcast, but I I might have my history wrong. Uh, And I did find the tweet. It was March 11th of 2013. Uh, Listen to Marco Arment, Syracuse, and I talk tech if cars isn't your thing. The Accidental Tech Podcast at ATP.fm. Was that named just uh, because it was kind of like, haha, we accidentally created a tech podcast? Yes, yes. Oh, a thousand percent. And at the time, like, I I don't know if we really thought... Like we, we definitely thought we wanted to like pull on this thread and see if it went anywhere. I, if you had told me then that I would be doing this for eight years, I would have laughed in your face, like no chance. But yeah, we thought there was, there was a prayer that it would go somewhere, but we didn't think it was going to be like a serious, serious thing, which is exactly what it ended up being. So, uh, so yeah, there was the accidental tech podcast, the tech podcast that we accidentally created when we were trying to make a car show. And turns out that's the one that stuck. And it certainly has stuck, but it's not your only show. So no, I'm curious how, how did your relationship with Mike start? And then that eventually end up with analog. I'm assuming it's in that order. Did you start a podcast and then form a relationship? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Uh, So I met Mike, I think it was, it was WWDC of 2012 or 2013. I want to say it was 13. I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm right about that, but we met at one of the bars in San Francisco. Uh, I was like tangentially aware of him and knew of him. Um, this was around the time that his first podcast network, 70 decibels had been bought by five by five, if I'm not mistaken. And, and I was deep into the five by five, you know, podcasting universe at that point. And so, um, I was aware of him through that, but I don't think I'd listen to any of his shows. And we met at a bar at WWDC and just hit it off immediately, just absolutely hit it off immediately. And it was one of those things where like in uh, what was it step brothers you know where you you meet somebody and you're like oh did we just become yeah. <laughs> best friends yes we did you know and and it was kind of like that with mike and we had wanted to do some sort of show for a while 
And I think it was within a few months of meeting that we had actually gotten to the point of I paid for a year of Squarespace, I believe, to self-host what was going to be analog. And then it was around this time that I think he was, he and Steven were having thoughts about maybe making their own thing, which ended up being Relay FM. And so he was like, look, I can't do this right now. I can't do this right now. Uh, you know, I got to hold on. I got to hold on. And so uh, we just put that in on the back burner. And then eventually Relay became a thing. And Analog was one of like four or five launch shows for Relay. And so that was, uh, what was it, August of 2014, I believe. Um, and Analog at the time... The ostensible purpose of it was to talk about the intersection of like tech and our real lives. And so, you know, what kind of a relationship do you have with tech? Is it, is it healthy? Is it unhealthy? What can you do to make it better? Things of that nature. Um, within just a handful of episodes, I'd say it quickly devolved, evolved. I, I guess I'll list that, <laughs> leave that as an exercise for the listener, but changed into kind of a human interest story on Mike and me, uh, which is not a very compelling elevator pitch at all, but that's kind of what it is. It's just the two of us talking about what's interesting to us. Either, you know, at that point it was that week, then eventually became fortnightly. Now we're on monthly. Um, but you know, it's just what's interesting to us. And that's changed a lot over time. Uh, it was within, but I, I think, I think it, I like, I understand the idea that it's not that original pitch because it doesn't kind of follow a format per se, mm -hmm. but your, both of your worlds are tech, Yeah, but you talk about your lives mm -hmm. and like, it really is about that intersection. Like you might talk on ATP in depth about uh, like masquerade, the development process or what you're, what bugs you're running into or whatever. But then when you come to analog, I expect to hear about uh, how it felt, you know, releasing it or mm -hmm. how, you know, your identity feels as a podcaster <laughs> versus a developer. And, sure. and it's like, that's exactly what that tagline sounds like to me and maybe it's because you know i see that tagline and then i listen to it and i go oh they they do make sense together but i i really do think that 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 pitch still rings true well that's kind of you to say i never thought of it that way to be honest with you that's some new thought technology for me but yeah i guess you're right i think that the the difference is that we had intended to make it less about us and more about, you know, not only society right. sounds a little highfalutin, but you know what I mean? Like more about the, the royal you. And it ended up that, that we, we ended up turning the, the focus into the mirror or on each other, you know, and, and talking about our lives. And that's, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but it makes for a very challenging elevator pitch. Like here's two white dudes talking about, <laughs> you know, whatever's important to them. Oh yeah. That's sign me up. That sounds amazing. There's nothing yeah. else like that anywhere, you know, but, um, but I, I do i am proud of the show though because we did cover some really monumental moments in both our lives you know it was within not too terribly long that mike ended up quitting his day job and went full-time on relay um we covered you know the i, I don't what was it it was late 2014 yeah so aaron was pregnant with declan our my, my son our son um our eldest uh she was pregnant when we started the show and so we covered you know the birth of my first kid the conception and eventual birth of our second kid uh we covered me leaving my job so as a kind of an archive of my life, um, it's selfishly an extraordinarily awesome, like oral history of the last, you know, six, seven years of my life. And something I've thought about often now that I'm a dad is will either of my kids have any time or energy to go listening to these? Like I was literally, that was what I was going to ask. <laughs> does that weird you out? It does. Um, yeah, I, it, well, it, it doesn't weird me out to think of Declan or Michaela listening to me talk about like them being born or anything like that. What weirds me out is the thought of me doing the same with my parents. 
which I mean, and I love yep. my parents. I'm super close <laughs> with my parents, but that's not an affordance that I ever had. And, you know, and for, for me, I, I, I turned 40 in just a couple of days as we record this. When I grew up, like even a photograph was a relatively rare thing because you had to be damn sure it was worth the 10 cents or whatever it is for that frame of film when you snapped a picture. And so, I mean, certainly there are pictures of my parents growing up. There are pictures of me growing up, but there's not a ton. Whereas, you know, kids of today, kids these days, uh, kids of today, you know, <laughs> I have thousands upon thousands of photos of both Declan and Michaela and they could watch their own upbringing from literally seconds after they were born until whatever today may be. And I, I wonder if I was afforded that opportunity, what would my appetite be for that? Would I find that interesting? Would I say to my parents, give me all those files? I want them because they're of me. Would I say, eh, whatever, you know, send me a couple good ones. So I have them, you know, and I don't know, I don't know what I would do, but as a, as an oral history of my life and by, by proxy, their lives, it is a very cool right. thing to have, and I am excited that they'll at least have the option of listening to it, whether or not they choose to, you know, take the time. What I think, what I think is really cool. So I think a lot of people have millions of pictures of mm -hmm. their kids growing up, and so everybody, kind of, uh, you know, our kids' generation um, and probably younger will have sort of that. And honestly, like I have that to a degree. Like my parents took lots of pictures, but one thing that my parents did that I'm not sure everybody did of my generation was they, they got a hold of a camera from my grandpa or something early on. And we have lots of home video and old home oh, video yeah. mm -hmm. from back then was put the VHS in the thing, yep, yep. set it up on a tripod and pointed at us mm -hmm. doing Christmas and then hit record, yep. which when we'd watch home videos, we always fast forwarded through to look for whatever funny thing where somebody fell down sledding or something. Mm -hmm. But now when I watch those, I get these glimpses of my parents talking to each other. Yeah, and like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm mm -hmm. getting, I'm reaching the age uh, that my parents were when I remember them. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. That's also thought and technology that, I'm not prepared for. <laughs> it is, it is seriously like it's uncomfortable to a degree. Like it's always uncomfortable thinking of your parents as people. Yeah, like peers, <laughs> yeah, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And that you kind of go through as you as you get a little older after you graduate. You start seeing them more as friends and more as peers. But this is like you're seeing them at the age you are now or close to it, mm -hmm. talking about similar things as what you talk about now. Yep. And that's that those little glimpses are like for somebody like me, I'm sure everybody's different. They're like really interesting and kind of powerful moments. Yeah. But your kids will have that like to an extra degree because you're literally sort of bearing your soul to a degree, like laying out your actual thought process with mm -hmm. things. Yeah, which, um, and which, that will be fascinating. It is. It's just, I wonder if that would be, you know, TMI, like, would that be too much information? Like, do you sure, really yeah. want to know the ins and outs of what your dad was thinking around the time that you were conceived, you know? And obviously I'm, I'm nothing I say on the shows is like explicit or anything like that, but, but it's still like, that that's a level of intimacy with my own parents that even though, as I said to you moments ago, I'm super close with my parents. I don't know if I would be comfortable with that amount of, intima of intimacy. Right. And and I, I don't think that's good or bad or indifferent. It's just, I, it, I'm fascinated to think about what it will be like for them as they get to a point, you know, not for presumably 10 plus years where they start interrogating and investigating you know, what is available for me to look at about me or listen to about me. And I think that that's a very interesting thing that will be odd for all of, all of us to navigate. Yeah. Like, 
if their um, views on the world are, well, certainly their views on the world will be different than what your views are now, mm-hmm. just because time moves on, right? Sure. And you're saying out loud a lot of your views and you're, you're careful about how you say it because you know you're publicly broadcasting it, but still times change. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So there's an element of that probably too that uh, could get could get kind of weird. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, the other day, uh, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but here we go. Uh, the other day, <laughs> I stumbled upon um, my high school yearbook. And in our high school yearbook, I don't, I don't know if this was the same for most high schools, but you could write like little messages and little like you know, blurbs and whatever. Yeah. And I was reading through some of the stuff that I wrote and it was like by by today's standards, you know, 20 years on. It was really distasteful. Like, and, and I didn't mean it that way necessarily at the time, but I, sh- I feel like I should have known better. And so, yeah, like you said, you know, the march of time, people's appetites for, or, or, um, the, 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 the amount of, of tolerance that they have for things changes dramatically. And some of the things that I think were not particularly remarkable or offensive then are deeply offensive now. And I think that's, probably for the best in almost every case, but, yeah. but, you know, it just by, by time and by me changing over time, you know, it, it, it dramatically changes, you know, what I think even, you know, even from when I started analog, you know, I think my, I'm a very different person than in, in both obvious and non-obvious ways. And so, yeah, it, I can only imagine what things I've said that will be deeply distasteful right. just a couple of years on much less, you know, 10 or 20. Yeah. You always look back and, uh, laugh at things that people used to think were edgy yes and then cringe at think at things that people didn't think were edgy that now are yep that's a very uh, well put and i completely <laughs> agree yep man okay even just talking about analog i feel like we just did a little mini analog episode that was <laughs> that was a weird uh like a surreal experience yeah. as a listener at- <laughs> very meta very meta right uh okay so analog then launched with with Relay FM, mm-hmm. and how how did that go? Did that take off? I guess you didn't have a lot of expectations because they were launching a new network. Yeah, I mean, not really. And, and I mean, analog. Even from the get go, we knew that it was not going to be a record shattering podcast. You know, um, even from the get go, we thought it was a little bit niche, and I think that's borne out. I, I haven't asked Mike for numbers in probably years, but uh, what's cool about so what's fun about ATP and analog is that they're kind of very different. ATP. We do have some extraordinarily loyal, um, extra, and almost all of our fans are extremely, extremely kind. Uh, but we have we have a fairly broad listenership. Whereas analog, I feel like it's not for everyone, but the people who do enjoy analog seem to really enjoy analog, mm. which is an extreme mm-hmm. compliment to both Mike and myself. Uh, and 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 I'm extremely, extremely thankful for it. But I think there's very few casual listeners of analog where there, I think, are quite a bit more casual listeners of ATP, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. Because like people are listening to ATP for you guys, but also because they're interested in the tech mm-hmm. and, and they the want to hear reactions mm-hmm. and yeah like when an iPhone comes out they want to hear what the people who talk about this stuff are saying yep um analog people are listening to it for you and Mike exactly uh, and that's literally the reason yeah and so yeah i i can totally see how that it cuts a very different slice of your your like fan base i don't know that's a weird word i know but like <laughs> your listenership sure. uh it probably has a very different vibe yeah it does it does. And, and i i love both of them i truly truly do you know i cannot pick my favorite child but um <laughs> but it, it's it's very different and it's very cool to have 
my two podcasts be so very different and they fill very different roles right. in my life, which is something, you know, you've alluded to, if not said several times already. And, and I, I think that's healthy in a lot of ways. Um, I don't know how long analog or ATP for that matter will go. I mean, they, for all I know, they'll end tomorrow and I sure hope not, but you never know. Uh, but while, while I still have them, you know, I feel like, I feel like I'm the parent that's just waiting for the kid to like move out and go to college or something like that. You know, like just while they're still they. here. Yeah. While they're still here, I just need to squeeze all the life out of them that I can. Um, but I, I know it would be, it would be silly of me to assume that either of these shows is going to go on forever. And, and uh, sitting here now, I genuinely have no plans to stop either of them. And if, if either of them stopped, it wouldn't be my call sitting here today, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. So, okay. So at this point, then you have, Analog, ATP, both running. Mm -hmm. And then you're working, uh, I guess at this point, let's just say you've, you've moved to the iOS world. Mm -hmm. well, well, actually, to that point, how did that go? Like, had you done any iOS work? You said you had dabbled. Yeah, I had been screwing around with it. Like, I had had um, an app in the App Store years before called Fast Text, which was ugly and stupid and silly, but it did, that was objective C and it was objective C and it, I mean, it did the job. It, no, nothing about this was good or remarkable in any way, but it accomplished what I set out to accomplish. And so I'd done some amount of iOS development. I think fast text I released right around iOS four, if I'm not mistaken, because at that point we got, uh, what is it like MF message composed view controller or something like that. Basically we had a way by which we could send text messages. And the premise of fast text was, you know, with just a couple of taps, you could send a message to like your wife or your, or your partner or mm -hmm. what have you saying, I'm on my way home. And now I do that with shortcuts and it's actually much, much better and much more robust. But at the time we didn't really have anything else. Um, and so in iOS four, you got a, or developers got a way to, to send a text message. Um, and so I'd done that and I'd kept up with it and I'd been like, you know, dabbling around on the side here and there where, where time permitted. But I certainly was by no means a full-time Swift developer. And, and that's what I was hired to be was a full-time Swift developer. And yeah. So I'm, cause like, that's what I did, except I had none of that background. And so it was a, you know, jumping into an ice cold lake just sudden shock feeling uh, whenever I jumped into the Apple developer ecosystem, which is extraordinarily different than uh, the Microsoft stack <laughs> yes. or any of the JavaScript stacks mm -hmm. I had worked in before. Yeah. How did you, how did you like try to like put the pedal to the metal and get up to speed? So you were beneficial to the company paying you quickly. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good question. So I think a few things worked in my favor. Uh, first of all, I've always had at least a passing interest in new languages and new tech. I'm, I don't know many languages. And in fact, at this point, I'm probably only useful in Swift. Like I can write a little bit of Python. I, probably could pick up c-sharp again if i you know dusted off the you know back corner of my brain uh which is too bad because i really like c-sharp actually but that's neither here nor there yeah um but i i yeah i used to know c plus plus and i've worked very hard and drank very heavily to try to forget that uh <laughs> but but uh but no i mean i i, I don't want to paint this picture that i'm like some sort of amazing generalist that can just pick up a language and run with it immediately but by not being fearful of other languages um I think that that worked in my favor. Certainly at this point, I had been living in the Apple ecosystem 
not from a development perspective, but from just a like a I don't know personality seems like a wrong word here, but like for, I, that was that was what I was doing. You know, my my yeah, side well, in your social circles too. Like yep. you knew people that were in that space. You hear yeah. people when they complain about X Y Z. Exactly. Um, and I've been keeping up with Swift. You know, I've been going to WWDC every year. Uh, remember when we would go to WWDC? Those I don't. Days. I've never gotten to. Uh, those were the days. But um, but anyway, so I you know, I was I was keeping my thumb on the pulse, if you will, of what was going on. And Swift, what's interesting to me about Swift is it's kind of a Rorschach test for developers because maybe not as much today, but certainly when Swift was new, I feel like you could point any, any developer could point to Swift and say, that's my language right there. You know, like, oh, this part, they stole that from C sharp. This part, they stole that from JavaScript. This part, they stole that from Objective-C. This part, they stole from Perl. This is from Python, et cetera, and Rust and Scala and Go and so on and so forth. And that's really funny that you say that because I, I used to describe it to people who weren't in the world at all when I was new as like, ah, it feels like they took the parts out of JavaScript that I was super familiar with and C sharp, which I was super familiar with, like took like parts of both of those and made it into something. But I, I didn't think about it. It's also probably all the other languages that I just don't know that well. Yeah. And I don't know enough about like Scala and, and Go and Rust. I think Scala and Rust, right. if I'm not mistaken. And every every real compiler nerd like swears that Haskell is everywhere. I've never written. <laughs> I've, done, I've done a teeny bit of Scala. I've not touched Haskell. I've uh, not yeah, touched I, Go or tiniest Rust. Tiniest bit of Scala a while ago. Yeah, same. But that was uh, it. Yeah. And so uh, you, you can see... You can see how Latner uh, at the beginning and eventually the team ended up with where Swift was when I came in, which was, I think, Swift 2. I forget when this was in the timeline now, but it was 2016. And that's, and uh, this was right around what was Swift 3 was the grand renaming, right? When they decided to change like every. Yeah, that was right before I joined. So I didn't have to live through that. Yeah. See, I think that was, I was on the other side of it. Like I was just before the grand renaming, if I'm not mistaken. So you have the battle scars. Yeah. Well, (laughs) some, it wasn't too bad for me because it was a mostly new code base that we were working in. Ah, Well, that's not fair. It was an old Objective C code base, but we were just stapling Swift on the side of it. So uh, anything new that we were doing was pretty much exclusively swift but um but yeah so swift at the time was i would argue a little easier to understand and a little less esoteric i think for all the the great things about swift and there are many i think one of the problems that i have with swift is that a lot of the people who are loud in the community tend to be less on the delivering cool stuff side of the world and more on let's talk about academics and what's academically correct and what cool things can compiler do compilers do these days. And so because those are the loudest voices, they tend to skew Swift and the changes made in Swift toward like the neck beardy nerdy, you know, compiler wonk side of the world. In my opinion, this is just one guy's opinion. I mean, uh, Charlie, you could disagree or anyone listening could disagree. And um, uh, you very well could be right. But I feel like over the years since I've been a Swift developer, there's certainly been some amazing, wonderful developments in the language. I don't mean to imply that it's all garbage, but I think a lot of things, I, I feel like there's been a lot of bike shedding in yak shaving that has been in the service of pleasing like an academic or a compiler wonk rather than it's trying to achieve what Swift really is built to do, which is write great apps. Yeah, I think I, I think I, well, one, I'm not like qualified. Like I, I'm not enough of a language nerd to even have strong opinions in any, any of these things. But the areas where I get frustrated, uh, I feel like I always write off as like, oh, that's probably to support some feature that Apple needs for some 
uh, low level framework mm-hmm. or some new framework that hasn't come out yet. I think just because of like the Swift UI things where mm-hmm. they did a bunch of weird stuff yep, yep, and yep. then that came out. Uh, I think that bought them, uh, you know, headspace in my brain to just be like, oh, I'm sure there's a good reason for that. I'll just, <laughs> you know, write it. <laughs> no, that's totally fair. And, and I mean, that is certainly a more charitable read and perhaps a more accurate read. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's my own internal frustrations that I'm that I'm you know, projecting. But you know, uh, when whenever I wrote code up until Swift, I never needed to know what an existential was or a monad or anything like that. And I'm still bad with all of these things. But like the fact that I'm even rattling these terms off as something that I've considered in my day to day life as an, uh, just a rank and file developer. To me, that's a little bit weird. And it doesn't mean that like is that coming is that coming up in your app development? Not as much in the app development, but if you pay even the slightest bit of attention to what's going on in Swift Evolution, you'll see a lot of these things. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, and, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, am I not using features I should be no, using? No, like, no, no, no. I see those going around when people are arguing about a, a new, uh, you know, Swift mm-hmm. uh, Evolution proposal right. or something, but I wasn't following the, like, ECMA 8 proposal specs or whatever when mm-hmm. I was doing JavaScript mm-hmm. development. Uh, certainly, I wasn't knee-deep in the c sharp world well that wasn't even open source until well i say recently recently when in terms of when i was still in that space and so yeah it feels like yesterday that c sharp became open source to me but it, it wasn't even though i feel yeah, it feels exactly <laughs> it was in the before time so yeah, it was certainly. exactly three years ago yeah, that's right that's right to the to the uh, day but no i don't know yeah. so I mean, again maybe i'm just projecting that i'm at a point in my career and i'm kicking and screaming trying to resist it where i i am expected to know what monads and existentials and things of that nature are but um but i don't know it just it it feels as though if you pay even a cursory amount of attention to swift evolution which that's about all i pay you you quickly start getting into these seemingly esoteric arguments about stuff that as a person who really just wants to write a decent app, I don't really care. Now, maybe that's immature of me. Maybe that's ignorance of me. I don't know. But but it's stuff that that I think it makes me wonder if we're losing, if we're not keeping our eye on the prize, where the eye on the prize is just making great apps and making it easy and fun to make great apps. Now, as compared to Objective-C, in my personal opinion, please don't at me, uh, Swift is so much better than Objective-C in so many ways. And in fact, I'm working on a feature for Masquerade where the most effective and easy way to accomplish something was to drop back down to Objective-C, which is great that that's an option, but it just feels so old and creaky to me. Like, it just feels gross to me now. And I don't actually have any particular... um, hatred or distaste for objective c like it's an amazing and in many ways beautiful language in its own right but so much of it i think or so so many modern things and affordances are so clunky in objective c and i'm looking at you you know effing block syntax.com like you know closures <laughs> in objective c are just such a nightmare and that's because it has the baggage of being a c-based language and so you know doing a closure in javascript or, or, or swift or c sharp you know lambdas and c sharp it's just so much more pleasing both in terms of aesthetics in terms of fewer keystrokes stuff like that is so much more pleasing and you know again as i'm maturing as a developer i'm doing more and more functional programming or mm, programming that's functional functionally inspired i guess you could say <laughs> and um and so you know writing closures regularly is something that i do a lot and you know when with c sharp oh, and, yeah. and link you know linq what is it, language integrated query you know you could write basically sql statements as code it wasn't literally sql but it was kind of sql statements but you can also do some of this like functional style you know lamb chained lambdas style programming and 
And that's becoming very in vogue right now. And doing that in Objective-C is, is a nightmare, if not impossible. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to dive more into this, but I also want to get to uh, the, the apps uh, that you've made. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna like jump forward a little bit here, sure. and I guess we'll have to sort of go quickly through the you're actually going indie thing, mm-hmm. uh, which stinks because I did want to get into that a little bit. But <laughs> uh, really quickly on that point, though, so ATP and analog at the time, those were your independent like financial resources right mm-hmm. outside mm-hmm. of your main job. You didn't have any apps in the store when you decided to That's go right. independent. That's right. So what was your, what was your like thinking going independent one? Why? And then two, what was kind of your, what were you going to do with that extra time? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's an easy question with a very complicated answer. Yeah, that I'll, try no to, kidding. I'll, I'll try to make explain quick. your entire like life, uh, mindset, uh, for one of the biggest decisions you've ever made. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the good news is I did that on analog, but, um, that's a good point. No, yeah. But, uh, but the short, short version is, um, Declan, uh, again, our oldest, um, he was a person at this point. Like he was no longer just a squish. He was an actual person. And, I had been hearing, I'd been getting a lot of flack from a lot of my friends, you know, like Marco and, and Stephen Hackett and Jason Snell and Mike and, and a lot of other, uh, underscore David Smith, you know, a lot of people who had gone independent who were saying to me, like, look, what are you doing working? Like, just, just <laughs> take the plunge, man. Just do it. And at the time, you know, the podcasts put together were make, were earning us roughly the same as my day job. It wasn't, you know, exactly the same, but it was in the ballpark. Um, and so it occurred to me, and after talking to Aaron about it, so Declan was, he was four no he's three and a half at the time and um he'll be in kindergarten in a couple of years and when he gets to kindergarten obviously he will be gone all day in school right guys right 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 that's how it works right um even though even though it's the fall of 2020 he'll be gone all day right um so anyway so i thought well he's gonna be in kindergarten soon and while they're still young and while i can still reasonably expect to spend time with them it seems like it's now or never to take the plunge and give it a shot because what good does you it do to squish all the life out of them that you <laughs> right, can exactly. before they leave home? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so, yeah, once, once they're in school, like what good does it do to me for me to be home all day? Like, yes, it would be great to spend that time with Aaron, but you know, I can arguably do that anytime I want, you know, any parent who's listening to this is like, no, you can't, but you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and so it seemed like that was the time. And, you know, Michaela was about six months old, which was, astonishing that i had the gumption uh to to do this but she was about six months old and declan was you know three and a half ish and i thought well you know let me see if i can make this work until he gets to kindergarten if i can do that then you know what mission accomplished and if i can wait until michaela's in kindergarten then that's like bonus and at that point when it's just aaron and me it's not that i don't love aaron to death you know she's my literally my favorite person in the world but you know, it, it's easier to say to Aaron, hey, look, I got to go to work than it is the kids. And so, right. Um, so the thought was, let me see what I can do and let me let me try it. And, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about being American is I basically halved my salary and then effectively bought a second house in the form of healthcare because yep. <laughs> healthcare costs us roughly the same amount as our mortgage. And it's still true to this day. Um, so I halved my salary and bought a house is <laughs> what it boils down to, uh, which was not financially prudent, but so far it's worked out. Okay. Which I'm thankful for. Um, but to answer your question, what did I think I was going to spend my time on? So I'd been dabbling at this point with um, YouTube car reviews, which 
uh, that's a whole story in and of itself that's probably not pertinent for this conversation, but I'd been dabbling with that, and I thought, okay, I can actually devote some time to that. Maybe I'll write an own, my own independent app. Maybe not. Um, at the time, I thought maybe I would 1099, I would do you know independent contract work for people. I thought maybe I'd write mm, a book yeah. about RX Swift, uh, which I was really into at the time. Maybe I'd go like do corporate, you know, like lectures or you know like workshops about RX Swift. I had all these grandiose plans. Um, and the only one that I actually really gave an honest shot to was the car videos, but it quickly became apparent that in order to make any money doing that, you need to like really be into the YouTube machine, which is obvious in retrospect. But at the time I thought somehow I could just, you know, will it into existence and to really truly be in the YouTube machine, you need to spend 80 hours a week on it, a hundred yep. hours a week right. on it. And that, that that's flying in the face of the whole point of me not going to a 40 hour a week job. So the Delta between like casually being involved and it being, yeah, like an 80 hour a week job in terms of actual income is so big that it just doesn't make the smaller one really worth it. No, it certainly doesn't. And so I abandoned that pretty quick and, and, uh, and then I, I don't remember exactly when it was, but at some point I had the idea for vignette, uh, which, uh, you know, I, I released. And then about a year later, I would argue had to sunset. You could make an argument that, that that's not really true, but I, I retired it after about a year. And, and that was the app for importing contacts from social media, right? And importing pictures into your contacts. Yeah. So if you went through your address book and said, you know, Charlie's uh, Twitter handle is, you know, what is it? Chucky underscore Chucky C, something like that. Um, you know, and Casey yeah. is Casey lists and, and so on and so forth. Well, then vignette would go and crawl Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and so on and try to grab profile pictures to shove into your address book. And it worked pretty well at first, but over time, Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter made it harder and harder to get unfettered and un authorized access to profile pictures, right? which unselfishly makes perfect sense. Selfishly basically killed my app. And so, um, so I had a choice to make and I could have gone all in on vignette and, you know, made it so that you could log into Twitter and log into Facebook and log into Instagram. But that was an immense amount of work that I just did not have the stomach for at the time. And so I I decided to just, you know, kill the app and retire it and move on to something new. Uh, and then very briefly, we took uh, the family to Disney World in late 2019 for Declan's fifth birthday. Uh, Michaela, good timing. Yeah, very good timing. Uh, Michaela was one and a half at the time, and she all she wanted to do was look at pictures on my phone, which in and of itself <laughs> is fine, but I didn't know if she would somehow find the delete button and then I would lose these once in a lifetime pictures of us at Disney world. And so I got home and I wrote an app called peak of you, which is basically a read only photo gallery and it does some other stuff too, but that's the short, short version of it. And that's still available to this day. Uh, it's been a bit neglected to be honest with you. I need to dig it back up. Um, I neglected it in favor of something that I didn't end up releasing. And then I neglected in favor of uh, masquerade, which is what came out early this month. All right. And so Again, for the sake of time, I won't dig into those, but I do have like a thousand questions, but that's okay. Uh, so Peak of You came out. What was that? That would have been like during this, the pandemic or right before? It was right before, I believe, because I think it was spring-ish of 2020. I think that's right. God, okay. I, should, I should know this. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. No, it's all yeah, a blur. I mean, yeah, but, time is flat, right? Well, yeah. uh, so that came out then. And then wh- it sounds like for that one um, and Vignette, they were like... They were really almost built to satisfy an itch for you. And the sort of commercial viability, was that 
was that an intent with either of those to make it into like a long running product that's a, a revenue generating like asset for you or whatever as part of you being independent? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, it, it makes sense for me to diversify the family's income right. through something other than just podcasts. Um, at this point, there was no membership in ATP or anything or, or Relay, I don't believe. So like literally all of my family's income was for advertise from advertising, which is a little bit of a squishy feeling to say the least. Um, and so, yeah, these were both were designed to be, you know, honest to goodness portions of the portfolio. I think Vignette absolutely had legs and certainly the initial release earned us enough money that it it, it was more than just a blip, you know, on the, on the radar screen. But Again, like I felt like forces beyond my control kind of forced me to kill it. Right. Peak of view, I think, was less universally approachable, applicable. Um, oh, interesting. It, uh, because I don't think that many people really have a need for a bespoke read-only photo gallery. I think they're the people who do have that need really have that need. But right. but I wouldn't say that's something an average user would would necessarily want. And and to contrast with Masquerade, to jump ahead a smidge. I think Masquerade is actually, it, at a glance, it, it feels very similar to Peak of View and that only certain groups of people may be interested in this. But the more I get feedback and the more I think about it, the more I think Masquerade actually probably, maybe even more than Vignette, is applicable to almost anyone with an iPhone. But yes. Um, but it, certainly the the numbers bear out that it's somewhere in the middle so far. Like Peak of View, it made a little bit of money up front and it's been a trickle ever since. And that's... Uh, disappointing but not unexpected uh masquerade uh it you know it's only been out a couple of weeks now but it made an okay beginning splash it was nothing like vignette but it made an okay beginning splash and i'm still it's still too early to tell what the trickle looks like you know going forward that's what fascinates me about your situation is you have you have a really big audience right with atp especially mm -hmm. um that's pretty broad and a lot of people who when they see an opportunity to support you um, we'll do that because they like you and they mm -hmm. like to see you succeed. And so the like initial launch of one of your products, I, like it's a weird way to phrase it, but it almost feels like it's a fuzzier thing for measuring like product market fit or anything. Yeah. And it, it probably takes you a little bit longer to, to gauge, you know, once it starts getting past your uh, sort of bubble, um, what the sort of impact of that is, or is that, or is that not really an accurate thing? That's kind of how I was internalizing it. no, 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 no. I, uh, my, well, I'm, I'm no business person. This is made very obvious yeah. by any of the choices I've <laughs> made, but yeah, send me your Excel but, spreadsheets. But, and, uh, let's but no, look at some charts. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that it's, it's a very, it's very tough. And I think, you know, the, the initial numbers from Masquerade, while not actively disappointing, were not particularly uplifting either. And if you'll permit me to be that guy for just a second, um, it's, it, it's very disappointing to know that I have a reasonable amount of reach within this community. And yet I don't feel like masquerade made that much of a splash. And that's, it's very, it's very disheartening and very demoralizing because you would think that. And again, I, I feel so gross saying this. I'm gonna have to take a shower after we're done recording, but you would think just by me being me, people would notice what I do. Right. And, and I, I totally recognize that's a really gross thing to say, but I mean, that's the fact of the matter. And I, I don't think it's helpful to sugarcoat it. Like you would think by me having a name in this community and by me having a podcast, that's relatively popular in the community. You would think that that would create enough buzz and enough 
I almost said spin, but I don't mean to imply that I'm like lying to people. Um, but enough, you know, heat, excitement, then in heat that yeah. that it would really make a tremendous splash. And I don't know if I'm just choosing bad app or bad ideas to make apps for. I don't know if the apps are no good. Um, I don't think that's the case, particularly with Masquerade. I think Masquerade's pretty solid. Um, but one way or another, I've been. I've certainly been underwhelmed, if not disappointed, by the launch of Masquerade, um, which is something I'm still wrestling with and trying to figure out, like, what is the way forward from here? So, okay, so the way, again, this is me from the outside viewing this, but the way I would have anticipated this going is your main marketing channel for your launches is your audience, right? Like Mm -hmm. you were just saying, and I know it feels weird, but you have a big audience, a lot of people who like listening to you, trust you, whatever. Your audience is very, very tech nerd uh, oriented, Mm -hmm. which is not what the app store generally is, right? Sure. Vignette is an app for making your database of contacts more pristine and connecting all of these different things together. That feels like that overlaps with your highly tech nerd audience more than a... Uh, very easy to use. And we'll talk about Masquerade here in a second more, but very easy to use uh, like specific use case photo editor. Mm-hmm. But I think for the broader world, that very easy to use uh, specific use photo editor. I mean, that is like a whole genre in the app store and there's a good reason for <laughs> yeah, it. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And so it, it doesn't surprise me to hear that your initial splashy launch t- targeted specifically at your audience was bigger for vignette than masquerade even though i again not really knowing anything would expect that masquerade would would be a broader net uh, in general yeah and i i appreciate you t- talking me off the ledge so thank you but um <laughs> no that wasn't my intent but, but uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, it's tough I, I think i think vignette is pretty universally applicable but it does to your point require somebody who is either perturbed by the like cls and ccs in gray circles that you see all over your contact book and also has the the patience and the time to go through your contacts and add at casey list to casey's contact and add underscore chucky c or whatever it is for her for uh for your contact and so on and so forth and that takes time and energy like okay what is casey's instagram handle what is his twitter handle and you had to do that for all of your contacts like that that was the the cost of admission for for vignette was you had to go through and provide that data to vignette for it to process and that's a big ask but Surprisingly, a lot of people were willing to do it. Uh, with Masquerade, it's like easy peasy, in and out, super straightforward. And I think it is ap- applicable to a lot of people. And I've had a lot of feedback from many, many, many different people saying, oh, this is perfect for, you know, some group of people. You know, so this is perfect for foster parents. This is perfect for people putting their pictures on dating profiles with other people in them that they don't want to ruin their privacy. This is perfect for people uh, protesting, you know, and awful, awful, awful wars. I saw you mentioned teachers uh, the other day and I was like, oh my goodness. Yes. Like that's yeah, exactly. That's a situation that I have family members who are teachers. Yeah, that is right. the thing they run into all the time. Exactly right. So I feel like it is broadly applicable i think to your point uh, it's it's i've i haven't had a or i haven't done a good job of marketing it broadly like i did make attempts to contact people with whom i'm acquainted in other spheres of influence mm-hmm. but nobody seemed to bite on it which is fine um i sent like a basic like 
PR pitch to, to a, a website called Scary Mommy, which is a really, really funny uh, parenting like blog and, and like conglomerate. And I didn't hear I heard crickets back, which is what I expected. But um, I, I just I, I haven't broken the code on how do I market this more broadly? And maybe the answer is I need to like start paying Facebook to, to do Facebook ads, which makes me feel gross, but maybe that's the way. I don't know. Yeah. How do you reach that audience? And yeah. actually I just realized I'm totally failing at my job as a host here. We, we never really did describe what masquerade is. Oh yes. Is. I'm sorry. Yes. That's at no, least no, that's me because you started to, and I cut you off like three times. No, no, so, no. so uh, masquerade it's M A S K E R A I D. Uh, so it's a play on the you know masquerade ball, but the idea is it's to help aid in masking faces. And so um, this, the genesis of this was when Declan turned about four it occurred to me, as I've mentioned earlier, like he's a person now. He's not just a squish. He's a person. And there may come a time that he doesn't want photographs of him at four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 years old strewn across the internet on my Instagram account, you know, or whatever the case may be. And the compromise that I came to, and I'm not the first person to think of this is, well, what if I just put like an emoji over his face when I put up a, p- a picture at Instagram or what have you? And, you know, you can still see his body, but, you know, a body is a body is a body for the most part, especially when you're a little kid. So whatever. Um, it's not the buck teeth or missing yeah, exactly. teeth, mm-hmm. embarrassing facial expression. Right, exactly. And so I started, you know, covering up his face and it occurred to me like there's no super awesome or there was no way that I knew of to do this other than like an Instagram stories. And it's very fiddly and I didn't care for it. And I don't remember when I had this epiphany, but at some point I realized, wait a second, Apple has this thing called the vision framework and vision kit where they do some, they, they offer APIs for some machine learning things. And I went digging and it turns out one of the things they offer an API for is face detection. And it will give you a, a rectangle as a, a relative, like, you know, a, you know, 20% of the way into the image and 10% down, like a relative rect- rectangle of where faces are in images. And so Masquerade, what it does is when you pick an image out of your photo library, it will use that face detection API to try to figure out where the faces are in the image and it'll plump, you know, plop a, uh, an emoji on top of each of the faces. So in a perfect world, you can literally just open the image and then immediately send it. Now, of course, it lets you alter what, um, what what emoji you use if you pay for it and it lets you reposition them and shrink them and expand them and so on and so forth but the idea is to make sharing you know pictures with faces occluded faster and easier and and kind of more fun and and so that's what that's the purpose of the uh uh, uh that's the purpose of the app and like you said uh while the intended use case is covering up a face it's really just putting an emoji on an image and you can rotate it make it bigger smaller like you can adjust where it goes however you want yeah that's exactly people very quickly have come up with all sorts of different (laughs) use cases or just fun funny use cases uh because because it's already a thing like if you watch a youtube video of a blogger or a vlogger half of their inside jokes are just plopping an emoji like really quick on something right like it's kind of become a visual vernacular for you know the 20 whatever century we are (laughs) Yeah, 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 uh, yeah communicating right yeah and it's funny too because I've gotten a lot of feedback, both you know from people posting pictures on Twitter and tagging me, and also from email. I've gotten a lot of feedback for all sorts of funny things, like somebody was putting pig noses on their dogs, which I thought was hilarious yeah. and adorable. Um, and uh, I actually had a couple of pieces of feedback from um, from people who take um, racier photographs that maybe want to share them in other contexts, but need to cover up 
the racier parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I am happy to report I have not seen any of this yet, but I've heard about it. And, uh, and so that's an example. Um, and I've heard, you know, people who perhaps, um, treat their their partnerships their romantic par- partnerships a little differently than i do um and they would like to share privately some of the evidence and photographs like in a happy way of of some of those escapades but would perhaps like to keep an- anonymity i've heard people are very excited about masquerade for that which was a use case i was not planning on at all um but you know the, it is it is more universally applicable and i think that's what's frustrating and disappointing to me about the launch is that I I genuinely think Masquerade is my best work yet. It it is the most visually appealing, which isn't to say it's beautifully designed, but it's the least ugly of all of my of all of my app children. Um and I think it works pretty darn well. I mean there's bugs, there's issues, but it's not it's not a complete train wreck. And I think it's fairly universally applicable. And as I sit here right now, you know, to, to the one N app purchase is to get the, you know, basically all the emoji is just three bucks. So I don't feel like it's a big ask. And I really feel like if the stars were to align just right, I really think this thing does have legs. Like I have visions of some celebrity like, uh, you know, Kristen Bell or something like that, who I, I, didn't follow until recently on Instagram, but apparently does this sort of thing with pictures of her children. I have visions of like her throwing up a, a an image and saying, "Oh, I you know, use this really neat new app to do this," or maybe even have the watermark that, you know on it that's this created with Masquerade or something like that. Do and you have that watermark on by default if you haven't uh, paid? By default, nice. mm-hmm. that, yep, that's right. It, it cannot be well. It cannot be turned off if you haven't paid, and then if you have paid, it is it it is off by default, but you can optionally turn it back on. Um, right. And so, yeah, so I have these visions of the stars aligning and me, you know, squ- swimming in pools of gold coins like Scrooge McDuck. Underscore but, uh, money. <laughs> like in, with underscore money, but so far not yet. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It, like, I can I can feel that uh, that frustration. But I, again, you know, me, this one white dude in the Midwest, like, I don't have a pulse on the, the industry necessarily. Sure. But mm-hmm. it really does feel like this is a... Well, it is a little bit of a crowded segment. Like there's lots sure, of things, sure, sure. not necessarily that do exactly this, but yeah. image editors are obviously a big thing, but it really does feel like a, it, and I would very much agree that I think this is your best work too. It's, it just feels good to use oh, thank you uh, for its specific use case. Like the act of throwing an emoji on something, making it exactly the right size and then sharing it out, like get in, get out with the exact thing I want. It is very, very good at that. Um, and I saw you're adding like share extension support and stuff like that too. And that's going to just make that even better, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but I think because it's it's a different market, it, it might be difficult to like, you have to go find the audience um, or get really lucky with a random, you know, TikTok influencer or <laughs> right. something. Exactly. And, right. uh, yeah, that's really, it's really interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But it does feel like the type of thing that has growth potential because unlike vignette and peak of view this is something people are actively sharing and being creative with yeah that's um, a good point like yep. when i saw people putting pig noses on their dogs i wanted to immediately find pictures of my dogs and put a pig nose on because i think it's funny right and, right, right, right. and then if i share that with my friends and like how'd you do that you know what i mean it becomes mm-hmm, like a, mm-hmm. a kind of a a, a thing so uh, it'd be interesting to check in in a year and see more than the other <laughs> ones. This feels like something that could have upward growth trajectory. Yeah. Um, somewhat organically, but I think there, yeah, there's definitely like marketing work 
to go find the audience too. Yeah, I think I think you'd hit the nail on the head, and thank you for the kind words. Um, I I don't know where it's going to go, obviously, but uh, I'm I'm starting to consider avenues that I wouldn't normally like. I don't I don't really love the idea of of buying app store search ads. I don't really love the idea of buying Facebook ads or you know Instagram ads or whatever. But the more I think about it, the more I think. I should at least take some of the earnings from the app and put it, you know, pump them back into the app and see if I can get anything from it. And, and, and I'll see. And I I don't know. I don't have a specific plan at the moment. Right now, I'm just trying to get through what I consider to be like the compulsory bug fixes and feature additions, like, you know, the share, the sharing extension, like you just mentioned. But I think over the next month or two, I'm going to start exploring, like, especially as I get a better view of what is the, the latent or day to day revenue from this look like. You know, I, I can see, well, is this something I can throw, you know, a few hundred bucks at or something like that you know, in, in, in terms of advertising and see what comes of it. But I don't know. It's it's early to tell. I'm if, if nothing else, I, I value these little adventures and these little experiments because they keep me current. You know, if I were to go back to my former job or to try to seek a different job and all I have to show for the last, you know, four years since I left my last jobby job and all I have to show for it is a bunch of podcasts like that's not insurmountable, but it is not immediately marketable. Right. And, and so by being able to say, well, I would really love an iOS position, please. And Hey, look at my work. Here's two apps that are actively in the app store that I did basically just me. I mean, I had help. Don't get me wrong, but in terms of the code anyway, like nobody else has access to that repository, but me. Right. And certainly I've gotten code snippets from friends, you know, to help me uh, with certain things, but, but for all intents and purposes, this is hundred percent me. And, and so being able to have that in my back pocket, I, in a way, I almost feel like it's diversifying me, even if it's not diversifying my income, because this leaves me, or it, it helps makes make me marketable as a developer should ATP and analog just disappear tomorrow. Yeah, it and, gives you an escape hatch. Yep. And obviously, in a perfect world, I want that escape hatch to be money, money, money. But in, yeah. a, <laughs> in a second best world, I'll take it as an escape hatch as, you know, as, as an incredibly good resume entry slash, you know, marketing tool for me if I ever go seeking employment in a more traditional sense again. Yeah, even in even if the apps totally fail and literally nobody downloads it. There's still benefit that you're accruing in just the like skill set. Right. So like it, uh, yeah, it helps offset no matter what kind of happens. And it makes it a little easier to go down if it's not the smashing success that, you know, blows the app store apart or whatever. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, uh, we are, Running well, we're we're over time, but uh, you know, <laughs> sorry. I feel like my epi- no, not not on your part. I just like I said, I had even more that I wanted to dig into, but I feel like it's a good sign if an episode if you run out of time versus run out of conversation. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> not that you probably ever experienced that on uh, ATP. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, not typically. Typically, we have plenty of things to talk about, whether or not we should be at that point. <laughs> Um, okay. But before I let you go, I do want to ask the question that I, uh, that I ask everybody. So, uh, what is a person or people out there that have inspired you that you recommend other people check out? 
Yeah. So I would, I love this question and, and I was thinking about this and I don't know, these are probably not um, terribly unique answers, but a few people jumped to mind. Um, a Shabazz, who is now working at Twitter, but was an independent uh, developer for a long time. Yeah. Um, I love him. I've spent time with him in person on several occasions. He is ah, so jealous. One of the most kind and nice and upbeat people I've ever met. And um, I like to try to be kind and try to be upbeat but a, a lot of times it's 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 an act in the sense i don't mean that to be a jerk it's just like i i don't know that i'm inherently kind or inherently upbeat and i try really 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 hard to be that way see we're back in analog now uh, i try really <laughs> hard to be that way um whereas ish it, it's for him it's just it's who he is and i'm so jealous yeah, of it and it's know? not like saccharin it's no, like no 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 like he can critique something and have deep you know, genuine thoughts. It's not mm-hmm. like this layer of nice. It's just, yeah, kindness is that, I know it's cliche, but it's like kind, not nice. He's just an extraordinarily yep, yep. Uh, kind person. Yep, very just, thoughtful. Just a very wonderful, warm soul. And and I and I adore him. And I've had the the opportunity to meet his wife a couple times. And guess what? She's also the best. So, <laughs> uh, so no, I, I strongly recommend. He's a great Twitter follow. Um, I strongly recommend uh, paying attention to Ish. Uh, Becky Hansmeyer, uh, who is... Yeah. A very prolific independent app developer, despite having two small children in like a farm. Uh, I don't understand how she <laughs> thousand cats. Yeah. And, and I don't understand how she has the time to breathe much less write really, really impressive apps. Um, but I, I very, very much am inspired and jealous. I guess this is all people I'm jealous of now that I think about it, but, um, <laughs> very inspired by and jealous of her. Um, she does very, very good work and is, uh, is very, I, I think a very important and powerful voice in the community. Um, Branching out some, um, Christina Warren, who currently works for Microsoft, but has been all over the place um, in her career, uh, she knows everything about everything, and I don't understand how, and it makes me very angry. But um, she is incredibly, incredibly bright and, and can cut through BS and drivel with just this absolutely like incredible ability to just get to the core of something almost immediately. Um, and she has, again, she has unbelievable breadth and depth and it's just, it, it, I don't understand how one human can keep that much in their brain. So I'm, I'm deeply jealous of it. Um, and then one that not everyone may be familiar with, but um, when I was first in Richmond, I worked with a guy by the name of Eric Wielander. And um, Eric at the time was, might I think he was on his first professional job. I don't think he was an intern, but he was very young, even though I, and I was young at the point at that point, but he was like super young. Uh, I've kept up with Eric. He's a really good guy. He's a friend of mine. And um, he works for uh, Martian Craft Day to Day, which is a iOS you know, uh, app consulting firm um but he does his own youtube channel in the evenings and um his youtube channel is mostly focused around uh home like home automation and home kit and stuff like that um his youtube videos over the years have been uh, have gotten incredibly incredibly good i mean they were never bad but they've gotten really good he's very very good at them they're typically pretty short um usually you know under 10 minutes i would say on average and if you have even a passing interest in home kit and home automation and stuff like that um i strongly recommend uh checking out his youtube channel um again that's eric wielander and I'll, i'll pass a link on um but i i'm i'm really inspired by eric because he is also really good about about trying a bunch of new things. And he's had a couple of independent apps that some of which have been, have done pretty well for him. Um, but he recently decided, you know, I'm going to go all in on this YouTube thing. And 
it's it seems from the outside anyway like it's really working and really paying off and i'm super proud of him because again i consider him a friend i mean i I consider all these people friends but uh you know i spent a lot of time with eric in person uh, because at the time you know we were working together um and and so i'm super proud of him for sticking with it in a way that i'm not as good at you know he's had a lot of tenacity and that's actually true of everyone but you know he's had a lot of tenacity um and and stuck with it even when it was it you know his youtube channel i don't think had legs right away but because he's kept up with it and tried and hustled and worked it's got legs now and and i'm super proud of him and super jealous of that and and again i think i can make that argument for ishbeki and christina as well but but it 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 hits a little different when it's someone who you've spent so much time with and, and know pretty darn well so yeah so those are my four yeah, I, it's interesting. Like, I feel like um, developers, or I shouldn't really paint this broad brush, but at least me in particular, uh, I feel like being a developer is like, I'm used to, I will put a whole bunch of work into something. And then when I release it or I hit run or whatever, then I sit back and I let all the the fame, fortune, or just a whole bunch of code that runs perfectly uh, <laughs> kind of flow in. Yep. And YouTube and lots of endeavors, uh, like we talked about teachers, you know, that's definitely a, a world that's more like this. It It's like slow grit where you have to just yep. grind through to get better. Mm-hmm. And it's a very different mentality and skill set. And it's an area where I in particular are, am extremely like weak. Yep. Like to me, it's like if something is painful or difficult, that means I'm doing it wrong and I should stop doing that and try a different approach. Yeah. I'm and sometimes way. you just, you just have to have that, uh, tenacity, I think is the word you used, but that's what this makes me think of. It's like when I see somebody who I knew before they went through that and then I watch them grind through something and then come out the other end uh, in some form of success, it's very humbling is really the word I would use because it's like that's a skill I've not taken the time to build up myself. Yep, uh, I completely agree. And and uh, like I said, I you could argue that I'm just jealous of all these people and that's why I brought them up. But uh but no, I I think all four of them are, are really really great people to pay attention to and learn from. Awesome. Well, uh thank you so so much for coming on. This was really really fun. Uh I had a lot of fun pretending to be on some of my favorite podcasts uh, and getting to talk back. <laughs> well, thank you. The pleasure is, uh, as always, it is all mine. And uh, certainly if you're serious about coming back in a year and talking about whether or not Masquerade has is, is made me fame and fortune, then uh, then I'm happy to do that. We can put it on the calendar. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe we can have like our first you know, in-person uh, live launched episode oh, by that point. Man, I hope so. I'd, and I'd yeah. love to come visit St. Louis. We were talking before the show that I visited St. Louis as a very young kid and I'd love to come visit again. So... Uh, so yeah, you never know. Weirder things could happen. Let's hope so. All right. Well, uh, for the like two people listening that don't already uh, know where to find you, where's the best <laughs> place to find uh, you and your work? You are too kind. Uh, so yeah, so you can find me uh, on the web at uh, caseylist.com. You can find me on Twitter at caseylist, Instagram, caseylist. Uh, my two podcasts, the Accidental Ted po- Tech Podcast, almost a TED Podcast, the Accidental Tech Podcast <laughs> is at atp.fm and, uh, and analog is at relay.fm slash analog. Uh, and you can spell that the correct way or the British way. Take your pick accidental ted podcast does sound like a podcast i would like to listen to <laughs> right. i don't just, know what that would be but <laughs> people who show up at ted talks and are asked to give a speech when they don't even know that they were that that, that, that was in the cards for the day you know just on the cuff talk, they're just right? uh yeah talking about they have to talk about something they feel so confident yep uh that they know enough in that they can talk like super passionately as if they had practiced uh yeah that would be that would be interesting maybe this does maybe this has legs you never know yeah yeah there it is the next the next big uh casey special yeah something like that all right well i'll let you go thank you so much charlie 
Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. Thank you.